0: do have some specifics. So we're actually going to be uh, posting today a client alert on the House Ways and Means Committee tax proposal that um, was unveiled yesterday. So this is basically a government funding proposal that involves a series of tax hikes and reforms. So the key elements of the proposal include increasing top marginal individual income tax rate to 39.6%. As you know, right now, the top individual rate is 37%. So this will be increased to 39.6%. And capital gains rate to 25%. Okay, but there is a caveat to that that I'll get to in a second. And the graduate corporate income tax rate with a top rate of 26.5%, going up from current 21%. So the, the top marginal individual income tax rate increased to 39.6% would apply to married individuals filing jointly with taxable income over 450, 450,000. Okay. Change would apply to taxable years beginning after December 31 of this year. Capital gains. This is something that's near and dear to everyone's heart. It is uh, proposed to be increased to 25%. And in combination with existing 3.8% Medicare tax uh, and plus additional 3% surcharge on people who make over $5 million, that yields an effective capital gains rate of 31.8%. So if anybody, Mark, if you have any questions on that, tell me now. If anybody has any questions, uh, let me know. Um, So, okay, I will just continue. So the next point is, so the 25% capital gains rate, the current 20% rate would continue to apply for the portion of the taxable year that ends before September 13 of this year. So basically, you know, the proposal is we will tax everything at 20%. But if you realize anything after September 13, then um, then you would pay this increased tax rate. The net investment income, the 3.8%, will apply to investment income derived in the ordinary course of a trade business. The taxpayers, the taxable income in excess of 400,000, uh, of single filer or 500,000 joint filers. So the surcharge, the three additional percent tax would apply to taxpayers who has modified adjusted gross income in excess of five million or 2.5 million for married individual filing separately. That would apply after December 31 of this year. Um, One thing that I will say also in terms of other provisions that are relevant, for example, to my clients who are private equity funds, carried interest. As you know, carried interest is now taxed at ordinary income rates if realized before the company is held for three years. So if you hold it for more than three years, it's long-term capital gains. Now the proposal says if you hold a company for more than five years, then you have a um, a long-term capital gain on carried interest. And then another provision that was really important to a lot of clients that I work with who are uh, uh, SBIC funds is qualified small business stock. As I mentioned in a prior presentation, that if somebody holds qualified small business stock for more than five years, they pay zero tax. Unfortunately, the proposal says If a taxpayer has adjusted gross income equal or exceeding $400,000, then this provision would not apply. However, a 50% exclusion remains available for all taxpayers. So, taxpayers who are making more than $400,000 will have a limited benefit of this exclusion, but it will never be zero. So. again there are lots of lots of provisions there's about 800 pages of provisions some things that are not tax related for example i'm working today with the small business industrial alliance one of the proposals is that that iras are not allowed to hold an interest in any private investment funds if they have to represent that the owner of the ira is an accredited investor Certified to any other financial status. So there's so many provisions. We don't really know what will go through, what will not, but this is what we have right now. And it's, you know, pretty significant, I think, to a lot of clients. So I'm just going to ask Mark if he has any questions right now. Hey, oh,
1: not, not to jump in, but Olga, could you repeat that last thing that you just mentioned about? Uh... I, the, the private investments and in, in, uh, IRAs
0: yes so so basically the proposal says if a private investment fund is going to ask as to the financial status of the investor, so like for example, private equity, venture capital, mutual fund, anything, you know so the investor will have to certify that the investor is an accredited investor, which you know all of the funds do so the proposal says. Mm-hmm. The IRA cannot make an investment in any fund where the owner of the IRA has to certify as to its financial status as an accredited investor. And the IRAs will have two years to divest their investments from those types of vehicles. So my contacts at the Small Business Industrial Alliance, they were saying, look, you know, we have lots of IRAs who invest in REITs, BDCs. SBICs, but frankly, any other private equity and venture capital fund. And if they have to divest from those investments within two years, that's a pretty significant change.
1: Yeah. So is that so if you're an accredited investor or or better, you would have to divest.
0: You could own directly if you as a person, you as a person, you own uh, directly an interest in the fund, that's fine. But if you own it through your IRA, the IRA will have to divest it.
1: Right. Do you know, and I'm sorry to get a little bit into the weeds on this, does uh, Does that include the self-directed IRA? Yeah. Or, yes. Okay. But
0: let me just, you know, actually I could maybe pull up the language because I was discussing it this morning. Um, let me see if I could maybe share this. Um yeah, um, so basically, yeah, the language says prohibition of IRA investments. So the bill prohibits an IRA from holding any security if the issue of the security requires the IRA owner to have certain minimum level of assets or income, or have completed a minimum level of education or obtained a specific license or credentials. It says, for example, the legislation prohibits IRAs from holding investments which are offered to accredited investors. Because those investments are securities that have not been registered under the federal securities laws, IRAs holding such investments would lose their IRA status. It says the section generally takes effect for tax years beginning after December 31, 2021, but there is a two-year transition period for IRAs already holding these investments.
1: Yeah, no, that, that's that's very um, that's very hap- That's very helpful. It's it's insane. I mean yeah. that that's like that's like a cruise missile, you know, straight in there. Um, okay. So. There right. Well, hopefully that one won't make it.
0: Yes. Yes. I hope so too, because this is just pretty significant. And uh, I mean, we have a lot of funds for investments I held through IRAs, and if they're all blown up, it's you know, I mean, what what do we do? I I have no
1: idea. Right. Yeah, no, that's that's that could be very very significant because there are there are tons of, of high net worth individuals, as you know, you know where you know they they want to hold that stuff in in their self directed IRAs. and yes.
2: um, yeah, yeah, I I yeah. second that. That that is a terrible idea, and I don't. I'm just thinking of my own. I, I, if you look at the cannabis side of things and investing in the cannabis side, there's a lot of folks that have done self directed IRAs to invest in uh, cannabis ventures too, not to mention a whole host of other alternative investments.
1: Right. So just just to be clear, um, is that, are they looking to eliminate the self directed IRA? Or no,
0: no, they're just I, to a- I, I, they're not. I think what they're saying is that, you know, self directed IRA go invest in public markets.
1: Yeah, I I yeah, it seems I'm sorry. I and and forgive me for for jumping in. It sounds to me like they are just putting uh private placements in the crosshairs. And for what there must be some underlying reason someone doesn't want that to happen, which is, you know, which is just nuts. Right, right.
0: Yes. Yeah, so it just seems to me, because I was thinking, what's the policy reason to say that the IRAs cannot invest in any private investments that, you know, where you have to certify this to the owner's status?
1: Yeah.
0: Have access to the, you know, private investments, so let's put everybody on equal footing and say you could only invest in public markets just like everybody else. So I'm not really sure, you know, I I have no idea to tell you the truth why.
1: Right. No, it's crazy because, you know, with self-directed IRAs, you can put all kinds of stuff in there. You can put real estate, you can put like, you know, your small business, you can put gold holdings, you can put all kinds of things. And normally uh, you know, so few firms out there offer self-directed IRAs that that's why, you know, you, you have to do that because most IRA providers will not allow you, you know, to hold sophisticated investments, you know, like that, which is why you got it. So someone obviously is just gunning you know, for, for private placements and specifically, you know, like hedge funds, private equity, that kind of thing where you have to do that certification uh, of an accredited or better investor. Because a lot of these other things, a lot of these other exotics that you could hold in a self-directed one don't require you to, uh, to make that certification. So right. again, so, someone, someone just pulled out their rifle. That's all I can, I can think. Yes. Oh, yes. All good. Do, do Roth IRAs, do the same rules apply to Roth IRAs? Yep. Yeah,
0: everybody. That's what they're saying. It's crazy. I mean, another thing that I wanted to mention is that, uh, so the grantor trust transactions in the tax proposal. So uh, sales between grantors and grantor trusts will be equivalent to sales between third parties, because as you know, in the past people transferred their assets to a grantor trust or state planning purposes. And for tax purposes, it was income tax purposes. It was viewed as tax nothing. So uh, now they're saying, no, we're going to view it as a, Equivalent to sales between third parties, and that would apply to trusts created and sales made after the date of the enactment of the tax act. So, well,
2: before you leave, can you do two things? If you didn't, uh, just can others join your uh, Zoom slash webinar this afternoon?
0: Yes. So actually, we move the the Zoom webinar to next week. But what I will do is, uh, Mark, I will send to you my client alert. And then um you could send it to okay. what you want. It's just kind of like a two pages summarizing everything. You know, the IRAs is not covered in it, but I thought it was pretty important to just mention to everybody.
2: Oh. Yeah,
1: okay. Very much so.
2: Well and and secondly, by the way, I just ran into Mark Mark Lazary uh, and Sophie Lazary. I think Sophie's coming, not Mark, to our drinks today with, with Alex Weka Um but the uh, second thing, Olga, just maybe just we'll, uh, we should we should sort of do a quasi welcome to Chicago. Uh, I've been working with Olga's team, uh, Renee. And I guess I'm going to talk to your biz dev, and you're you know you're, you're definitely welcome to bring others, to, as you know, Olga to the yeah. to the panels, and and I really, really appreciate all the you know the hospitality and the professionalism of your team and. I remember being there a couple of years ago. We're a little bigger this time, um, but it'll be fun.
0: Yes, looking forward to it. Hope to see everybody in Chicago. Everybody's welcome to our little conference, which is not so little anymore.
2: Excellent. Thank you. Okay, thank you
0: so much. Mm-hmm. Bye, everyone. Thanks. And I'll be Bye. sending my uh, client alert. you know, once we I'll, post. I'll look for it and I'll share it. Okay, thanks. Mm-hmm. Bye.
2: Bye-bye. And I'll hand this over to back to the cyber guys. Again, anyone who's in New York, if you've been to Hudson Yards, you really can't you can see through. Is that building with the two like the cylindrical towers? 15 Hudson Yards. That's where we'll be tonight, 4 to 7 p.m. With very good wine. So over to you, uh, Hamlet and Andrew.
3: Great. Um, Peter, Tom, do you guys want to kick it off or do you want me to just jump in?
2: Yeah, Peter, Tom, you want to speak? I don't see either of them on, so go yeah, for I it. Yeah, okay,
4: I can don't want you just jump in, but...
2: Okay,
3: great. All right, well, uh, listen, I appreciate the uh, the opportunity here to, to talk about cyber security and national security. Uh, Special thanks to to, to Mark for setting this up as well as the prior calls we've done and as well as uh, 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 Peter Bergen and Tom Goddard from BG Partners. Um, My name is Hamlet Youssef, Iron Gate Capital Advisors. I apologize for doing this over the phone. I had a last-minute flight that I needed to get on, so I'll be very quick. I'm going to hand it over to Andy Magliacchetti, who's my partner, who's on the line as well, to discuss um, our thesis and our space in all greater detail. Uh, For those of you all who were on the earlier calls we've done uh, earlier in the summer around national security and cybersecurity, you're familiar with us, uh, look at this as a slightly deeper dive. Uh, For those of you new to us, um, this is an introduction in terms of what we think is a very critical uh, investment uh, asset class for private investors, um, and that is the intersection of disruptive technologies and national security and economic security. And a big component of that is going to be and is uh, cybersecurity. Uh, everything from uh, training platforms uh, to new uh, technologies based on zero trust. Um, the, the space is changing uh, significantly, but what you're starting to see is a significant focus from the government to accelerate uh, not only federal agency spending in this space, but also the engagement of the private sector. Uh, this is an initiative that began under President Obama uh, when he set up the Defense Innovation Unit under then-Secretary of Defense Ash Carter. The overall initiative was significantly accelerated by President Trump. And uh, it's good to see that in a very divided um, and divisive uh, political landscape we have, some things have bipartisan support. Um, and increasing the spending and increasing the cooperation and coordination between the private sector and, and government is something that Biden um, has continued uh, with that effort. So what, what we think right now is, for for us, we do think we are at what we think is the beginnings of a golden age of, of this, this asset class. When you look at cybersecurity, uh, artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning, computer vision, quantum computing, unmanned systems, robotics, these are all interrelated. Uh, they tie into smart cities. They tie up. It ties into how the future of this country is going to, or the world is going to change through disruptions of technology. Uh, the way we set up our fund is to allow family offices to participate in that. Uh, there are dozens and dozens of VC funds out there right now that focus on, on parts of this ecosystem, whether it's cybersecurity, unmanned systems, space-based technologies, uh, AI, etc. What makes this uniquely different is, is a couple of things. But primarily, if you look at our people, uh, between the four partners uh, of which Andy and I are two of, and our six board members, most of us come from the national security defense ecosystem. Uh, We have active security clearances and active connections and ties into the federal government, uh, particularly the intelligence agencies and the, uh, the tier one special operations community within our federal government. What that allows us to do, it allows us to have deep insights and good working understanding of what's broken, what's needed, what kind of technologies are being sought by uh, decision makers and who the decision makers are. But more importantly, we're starting to see what kind of closed end hard to find, hard to diligence, hard to access VC funds are also in this space. And what we've developed is a a hybrid structure that allows family offices to come into us as an LP into our fund, uh, which then allows us to invest in some of these VC funds and portfolio companies but when we invest directly in a specific portfolio company, we give access to our LPs, our family offices, uh, to come in on side by side deals with us for free, meaning they're not going to pay any fee or any carry. So, uh, we think we're in a unique situation. Uh, we've, we set it, we set the foundation for the fund, um, over the last let's call it three to four years where we deployed some of our GP capital and we're warehousing a series of investments, um, into the LP. Uh, and what we're looking for now is really simple. We're looking for three things. Uh, we're looking for patriotic capital or capital that wants to get involved in this space because they realize there's an opportunity to make some absolute returns, uh, but also want to contribute to the uh, greater good, which is enhancing our national security and defense. Uh, we're looking for investment opportunities. We're always actively looking for funds uh, to invest in, co-invest with as LPs, but also invest directly in our portfolio companies. And the last part is uh, we're looking to grow our network. of of ambassadors and evangelists who understand what we're doing and want to put us in front of capital, and we want to put us in front of technology opportunities. At the end of the day, we're a bunch of shameless capitalists, so we want to make as much money as we can for our LPs and our investors. But the reason we're also doing this fund is a sense of mission um, and a macro theme, uh, which is we are, in our estimation, in a second Cold War uh, if not a, a, a third uh, third war with China and Russia as our near-peer adversaries. Um, the, the Communist Party within China and Putin's regime have gone all in in terms of trying to use technology to get the upper hand of the 21st century. Um, none of us want to get into a, a physical conflict. So I think peace through strength and investing in technologies that enhance national security and economic security is the way to go forward. So um, I'll pause there, um, and I'll let Andy take over. And then I think we'll uh, save some time for uh, for Q and A, uh, and discuss some of the the trends in cyber security in greater detail.
2: Andy,
4: thanks, Sam. Uh, hey, hey, Mark, does somebody want to hand me a, a presenter? I'm not going to drone on for you.
2: you long, yeah, you but... can take it. You have the ability to do that anytime.
4: time. Okay, let me. Uh, we, we use a different secure platform, so what, uh, how do I do that on Zoom? You had to emphasize that, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> Let me just see if I can do a uh, – how's that? Can everybody – can I get a thumbs up from somebody if they can see that? Yep, yep, yep. Okay, great. Um, look, my name is Andy Magliucetti. I'm based here in Chicago. So those of you that are coming uh, here next week, we'll get to meet in person. Um, and I'll look forward to that. It's been a while since I've attended an event, an in-person conference in Chicago. So I'm excited to meet you all. Um, Look, real quick. I'm just going to touch on some high points of who we are, what we do, and then maybe talk about one case study, and then we can kind of open it up for discussion. Um, you know, as Hamlet mentioned, uh, you know, the, the, the whole purpose of our platform to in, is to invest in dual-use early-stage tech that does two things: it supports the national security of our country, and it also has greater uh, applications in the civilian economy. Uh, we're focused on five uh, primary food groups. Um, that would be data, analytics, AI, cloud-based processing, where we put machine learning um, and, uh, and quantum in this bucket as well. We invest in unmanned systems and robotics. Uh, we look at intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance, which is sort of gathering data at the edge of processes in a defense sense. That is, you know, things like sat, satellites gathering signals, intelligence, processing metadata, and so on. That's the industrial Internet of Things in the private sector. Critical infrastructure and key resource protection, um, as I'm sure everyone on this call knows, in our country, more than 90% of our critical infrastructure is privately owned. Um, and sort of turning to the cybersecurity component, we invest in both defensive and offensive uh, cybersecurity platforms, and it touches each one of these prior four things, especially uh, the sicker, the critical infrastructure and, and key resource area. Um, anyone who's been reading the paper and not been living in a cave for the past few years understands that that's really the soft spot of our of uh, of the attack surface for our adversaries to hit the United States. Um, we invest in two ways. We invest about 60% of our capital in other closed NVC funds uh, that are hard to access. Re- frequently require you know minimums uh, from five million and up. Um, and we also invest 40% of our capital directly into uh, operating companies. Um, there's just a bit of structure on the fund, as I mentioned, 60/40 allocations. Uh, we pay, uh, we return capital, then pay a 7% pref, after which our uh, our carried interest kicks in. Uh, to date, we've invested uh, is a little bit out of date, uh, just about seven million dollars in warehouse investments, all of which are being contributed at basis to uh, to the fund proper. Um, That now represents over 70 operating companies with sort of a combined basis of 1.7x what we invested. So new investors that are coming in today uh, are receiving the benefits of that $7 million of investment at a 1x, which is now at about a 1.7x. I'm going to focus on sort of one opportunity or excuse me, one case study that folks may have heard of. Uh, We invested in May of last year. In the Series D recapitalization of Wicker, which is a secure communications platform, um, immediately following our investment, we helped them to to get about $10 million of non-dilutive capital from DOD. Uh, and then a little bit later, I um, uh, helped them to acquire a $70 million IDIQ contract from DOD. Um, as they we went out for more capital, Amazon uh, threw their hat in the ring and ended up purchasing the deal. This isn't necessarily the type of multiple we'd like to see in a longer term investment, but we returned over 100% IRR in just over a year on that investment alone. Um, you know, really the, the three things, the three pillars of our platform are people, the access that we have, and the impact that we derive from the prior two. Um, you know, our team is based, of, uh, based up of folks with experience in uh, the intelligence community, Department of Defense, um, and as well as the private sector. Uh, as Hamlet mentioned, many of us have security clearances and have worked with government for a very long time in developing relationships. Um, we also have a great advisory board, everyone from uh, Joanne Isham, who used to run science technology for CIA, to Steve Sargent, who used to run all testing and evaluation for Air Force, uh, as well as Jack Tamarcio, who uh, was in charge of intelligence for DHS, uh, and three other very talented folks, but for the sake of time, I won't get into their backgrounds. Um, uh, in terms of access, you know, we closely collaborate with folks that we've built relationships with over a number of years. This is just a little snapshot of the logos of folks that we talk to on a regular basis, and it's sort of a two-way advisory street. This allows us to front-run technologies, determine probability of uptake, and sort of enhance our due diligence versus what normal folks would do. And then also having spent a very long time in the private sector, uh, you know, we have a whole host of, of folks that we uh, enter into deals with. Um, so as Hamlet mentioned, you know, really we're focused on three things, uh, you know, three investment sort of criteria. We want things that are hard to find, right? So we want the best dual use VC opportunities. We want things that are hard to access. So these aren't deals that anyone can knock on the door of. Frequently you have to be invited in. Uh, and we want things that require a little bit extra diligence, so that we can really bring to bear uh, our access to add value, not only on the front end in determining probability of scale, um, but also post-investment, so we can help shepherd in opportunities uh, within government and the private sector. Uh, right now, we've got about uh, let's call this 25-30 million dollars of pipeline opportunity right now between uh, what we call partnership, which are fund investments and direct investments. Uh, and as Hamlet mentioned, we allow our investors to participate side by side with us uh, when we make direct investments. Those things are done without fee or carry. And if you kind of do an analysis now, you know, if, if someone had you know, made equal allocations to our fund and our direct investments, they'd already have enough unrealized gains built into the direct investments to have essentially a, a free investment in our fund. Um, so again, you know, impact here, we're focused on a double bottom line. First and foremost, financial returns for our investors. But we also think that you can do good by making returns. Uh, and and that good is enhancing the national security of our country and those of our allies. Um, that's about as quick as I can do a presentation. It's a lot of information. Um, happy to answer questions that are specific to uh Iron Gate, or generally, if you want to talk about trends within government, sort of what we see coming down the pipe as it relates to budget, happy to answer any of those questions to the extent you have them. That's
2: great, Andrew, and, and I'm looking forward to meeting you in person. Any any questions for Andrew on the cybersecurity landscape, Iron Gate's approach, a bit of a, a hybrid, they really, really do capture that ecosystem that way.
3: Mark, let me, if I may, let me expand on, on the Wicker deal uh, specifically because this this is such a great case as it relates to cybersecurity. Uh, for those of you who are, who are aware or not aware, Wicker is a secure encrypted communications platform. Think of it as Signal or WhatsApp, but uh, significantly hardened and secured. The technology came out of the DC ecosystem, but it's better suited for enterprise versus individual users. Uh, the marketplace for secure apps is insanely crowded. Um, there's a ton of people out there who are doing it. So getting users and getting scale is key. So Wicker was actually referred to us by two people. It was referred to us by Founders Fund, uh, Peter Thiel's Early Stage Venture Fund, uh, as well as our friends within the federal government, particularly the, the defense uh, national security ecosystem. What got us excited in, in uh, December of 2019, January of 2020, was, uh, U.S. Air Force was in late-stage uh, diligence of giving Wickard 90,000 paid licenses uh, to make the platform available for all of our airmen who are stationed abroad, so they can communicate securely with their family and loved ones back home without having to worry about uh, who's eavesdropping on your uh, on your FaceTime chat with your with your wife and kids. So that was a pretty impactful message for us. Uh, we were able to validate, validate that interest very quickly through our through our clearances and our connections. But uh, two things that got us really excited. Uh, one, we were able to validate other parts of the federal, particularly the mass security space, that were also looking to use Wicker. And then, if you guys recall, timing standpoint, uh, February of 2020 uh, 20 is when we started getting wind that the U.S. Air Force was beginning to posture for a, a significant remote uh, work environment uh, because of the mitigation strategy for this thing that was called COVID that everyone was trying to pay attention to. So, um, in, in short, when we thought Wicker was going to do 90,000 seats with the U.S. Air Force, we found out by March before we invested that that number had gone up significantly. So, that made it a, a, a no-brainer for us to invest. And the way we did that is Political Ventures, which is uh, one of the cybersecurity uh, VCs that has been on the recent calls with us here at 361, we refer the deal over to Lytical. Uh, Lytical diligence the deal uh, through their uh, through their team. And they're a, a very proficient early-stage cybersecurity investor. While Lytical was diligencing the technology and the opportunity from a traditional VC standpoint, what we did is roll up our sleeves, go into D.C. and make sure that the contract and investment opportunities, I'm sorry, the, the, the business opportunities that uh, we thought were there were actually there and obviously, once everything was validated, we invested directly, um, but also opened that round out uh, for our, our friends and family to come into that round with us. Uh, anecdotally, uh, one of my best friends um, was one of the first checks into our fund um, when we had no deck, when we had uh, pretty much a, uh,
1: a cocktail napkin
3: sketch of what we wanted to do. Uh, he invested $35,000 personally just to get us going. Uh, he invested uh, 50000 I believe, in Wicker. So in just one direct investment where he was paying no fees and no carry-on, uh, when we hit that 2.5X multiple uninvested capital, uh, he got all this fund money back and then some. So it, it really demonstrates the power of how uh, an LP investment into the fund uh, opens the way to invest in, in direct opportunities that uh, carry no fee, no um, no, no carried interest, uh, but give you access to deals that normally you wouldn't be able to get into, diligence or vet.
4: Got it. Thanks Emma. Uh, Mark, are you, uh, perhaps Marcus walked out of range in New York. Well, at any rate, um, look to the extent anyone wants additional information. Uh, you know, please let us know again. Uh, I'll be here in Chicago. Um, talking a little more pointedly on FinTech applications as they straddle national security
0: intelligence and traditional financial services. So, um,